You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast. Today, we're talking personality types, self-deception, and transcendence. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and with 13 years online, I've built my business to over $9 million in sales per year. And this is the first non-business business podcast that shows you how to apply the principles of spirituality, energy, and mindset to create true and lasting success all from the inside out. This is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? James Wedmore here. Thank you so much for tuning in to a very special episode that I have so patiently waited for for such a long time. And for those of my listeners who are already a fan and aficionado of personality types, this episode is going to crack your brain wide open. Ouch. Well, I know that's what it did for me. And I want to kind of get into just the story behind this episode that's about six months in the making at this point maybe a little longer. But here's kind of all the background you need to know because this is going to be so awesome. So we've been running this podcast for four plus years now and episode 20, Know Thyself, which has quickly since the beginning become one of the most popular episodes on the podcast is where I talked about my perspectives, experience, and knowledge on personality types, most specifically Myers-Briggs, the MBTI. And in the episode, I actually give you an opportunity to (laughs) self-assess. People have loved that episode. I've used Myers-Briggs to learn more about myself, to learn more about people I care about in my life or hiring and training and communicating, even coaching clients, even just marketing, you know, choosing my niches and avatars. Wow. So great. So it's always been something that I've known a lot about and been really passionate about. And then in October of 2019, I connected with an individual who connected me with this guy named Alexander Paulos. And he talked to this gentleman, his name's Henry. He started saying, man, it's like this guy was like a crystal ball fortune reader. He's like reading all these things about me. And he's like, he didn't even ask me any questions. So first I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know personalities. I was like, totally, yeah, that's normal. Like they just kind of, it's like they can read your soul. You know, they know all these things about you, like your temperaments and the things that you prefer and how you live your life, how you make decisions and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've, I've definitely had that experience. I'm on both end, the giving and the receiving of that. And, and he goes, yeah, but he didn't even, I like, I don't know how he guessed. He didn't ask me any questions. I'm like, well, did you take a test or something? He's like, no. What? Yeah, he just knew. What? No questions? No questions. He didn't take a test? No test. He just knew. What? (laughs) Okay, I'm intrigued. And he's like, oh, this guy's freaking genius. And so he connected the two of us. And the first thing I did is I grabbed a copy of Alex's book. It's called Recognizing People and it's 700 pages long. I've kind of done some behind the scenes stories and stuff on it. 700 pages. And I read it cover to cover. And he took what I thought I knew to a completely different level. Blew my mind. And yeah, I'm someone that loves intelligence. I love someone who has a deep breadth of knowledge. I've ne- I still have not met anyone that has as much knowledge on the topic, as much wisdom on the topic as this gentleman that I have such an honor to bring to you guys. Because technically, 
I'm pretty darn sure this is the first podcast he's ever been on. Definitely anyone, any podcast that you've listened to, this will be the first one that he's on. Because, you know, the way his business has really ran up until this point is it hasn't really been like the online expert or the marketing person or the, I have my own podcast and stuff. It's, he just wrote a book and he does some one-on-ones and stuff like that and helps people in a, in a very intimate setting. So the book, it, it blew my mind. Just so much deeper than anything I've ever read on the topic and anything I've ever learned on the topic. It's a brilliant, brilliant mind, this gentleman. And so I reached out to him and I let him know I'm reading his book and I said, I'd like to schedule a session. And then I scheduled a session and that blew my freaking mind. And I said, okay, what else can we do together? <laughs> and before we knew it, he was coming out here and doing a, a half day with my team. He assessed my entire team. He walked through different scenarios of how we can communicate better together based on our different types. And it was illuminating. It was bonding. It was so fun and so effective. And then I said, hey, can I bring you to my mastermind? And at this point, yeah, he was excited. I was excited. The members were excited. I told the members, I warned them of something. I said, I'm going to introduce you to this guy. And I'm a little reluctant to do so because I fear that some of you are going to have a bit of an identity crisis. Because if I'm being honest, I had one. I had an identity crisis. And it really is the shadow side of all this personality type stuff is we begin to identify with this ideal version of who we think we are based on what some description is of a type. This is me. And you wear this type as this badge of honor. And then you start to kind of put your life into that box and create or live from a place of massive self-deception. And sure enough, that's what happened. We had a lot of people in the room struggle with some what you would call an identity crisis. Because his test and the way he diagnoses, which he'll get to in this episode, is so mind-blowing. It's not based on questions. It's not based on tests. And it's not based on your own personal self-assessment because we talk about self-deception a lot in this episode. It's based on how you look, your face, your body language, how you move, your eyes, the shape of your head, your jawline, all of these things, even how you smile. And it's all brain-based and scientifically proven. And it will boggle your mind as it did mine. And so there's a big bomb I'm going to drop in this episode. Big, big bomb. <laughs> it's a big bomb. And there was a lot of, of this identity crisis. People had a really hard time. Some people had a really hard time because they were telling them something that was different than what they'd been telling themselves. And then they had to kind of chew on it. And we did it two days together. So they came back and they started to say, you know what, if I'm really honest and authentic with myself, you're right, this is who I am. What a gift for us to learn a little bit more about who we are. And that's what Alex has brought into my life and the people I care about in our life is that gift. In fact, he typed my wife I'll never forget that we were at the little after party at our mastermind. We're all hanging out and having some drinks and chatting and listening to music. And Alex comes over to Chelsea and he just starts talking. I mean, we asked him, said, can you just do your, your magic on Chelsea? And he starts talking. And within about 45 seconds, you just see the water rising to the top of her eyes. And she just lost it, starts crying. And she told me later, she told him, it's like someone could see right through 
to who I truly am and that I couldn't hide from the, you know, the part of us that we put out into the world to put our best foot forward and show the best version of ourselves. And it's like in an instant, he got right to my core. And what I saw were two days of this with people, extraordinary people. And him cutting, he wouldn't talk to a single person. It was so, so hilarious. He would hang out with us and people would come up to him and be like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I can't talk to you. What? And he says, I don't want to get to know you until after I speak and do my assessment of you because then you'll, you'll think that, that I was using this conversation like a, you know, like that was my trick or my ploy. <laughs> so he just sat in silence, you know, in the corner while we were hanging out and stuff, dinner and whatnot. And then person after person, he would come up to them and he would start to talk about who they truly are. And person after person was just like thrown completely back. It's like, how do you know that about me? I barely know that about me. The ones I love the most don't even know that about me. And when you see that time and time and time again, and minute after minute, like person after person for two days, you're like, okay, <laughs> any doubts I had about this have been dissolved or gone because you just see so much proof and evidence. And so what we're going to do today is such an honor and a gift is I'm bringing Alex to you because this is something that he's created. He started to connect all these dots and put all these things together from studying and mastering all these different personality types. He's not only created his own where he kind of looked at where are the holes in some of these popular types like Myers-Briggs, what's missing. You're going to learn things like why people say I'm sometimes an introvert, sometimes an extrovert, or, you know, why I'm shy, but love people, you know, and he, he actually addresses that. And how so much self-deception gets created because we don't really know what it means to be an introvert or what it means to be an extrovert or a judger or a perceiver. And then he begins to talk a powerful conversation about how his typing is free of all this self-deception that we have. So you just say, oh, I'm this type when you may, and most people are completely off on the type that they say that they are. And I know we got a lot of like personality type snobs, like these aficionados. You got to be careful with that if that's you, because what you're doing is you're just grabbing on so hard to this identity that you now create. And you think you know everything about everything because this is who I am. And for those that are open-minded and open-hearted enough to listen really closely, because there's so much here and I, I think we got to bring him back because there's so much more he has to share. Trust me, 700 page book. And I feel like we talked about 50 pages of that book, okay? And it was still so much. You got to have that open mind as you come into this. And it's going to be so good. I'm so excited. And he's such a great guy. Such a great guy. I am going to invite you to work with him. You know, he's going to leave you. I'm just going to kind of end with this note. He's going to leave you wanting more in this episode. You're going to have so many more questions. And, you know, okay, how do we apply this? And how do I know what my type is? And I want you to know, getting to know this guy so well, he's got such a good heart that this isn't some like marketing ploy to go, you know, buy his system or anything like that. What this really is, is that he's developed something that is so powerful and so effective that if he just puts it out there openly, he's had the experience in the past and he's really worried about it. He didn't talk about it on the show, but he's talked to me in private and he gave me permission to communicate this in the intro that in the wrong hands, this information can be very dangerous because it can be used to manipulate a lot. And so 
he doesn't want to just freely teach somebody how you can basically speed read someone's face to know exactly everything about who they are at a deep personality level, their innate personality. But there's indicators, there's clues, there's there's a lot of things to get you going in that right direction. And it's such a fascinating episode. And I do, you know, endorse and recommend him so much and encourage you to continue working with him in some way, even if it's just getting his book. There's a lot of great stuff in his book. A lot. Okay. So let's get into this. Let me let me give you a quick bio of Alex so you little, know a little bit more about, about who you're about to listen to. Alex Palos is an expert personality reader, author, consultant, and co-founder of Inner Shift. He has a master's degree in psychology and has created a new and unique intuitive and scientific approach to understanding people's personality types and the personality dynamics within companies. With his cutting edge and innovative approach, he assists businesses, groups, and teams to better understand one another, communicate successfully, improve conflict-ridden relationships, become more cohesive, increase productivity, enhance work culture, and decrease disengagement at work. And he is my very special guest today on the podcast. So without further ado, let's play that interview right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with today's very, 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 very special guest, Mr. Alex Palos. Alex, how you doing? Oh, I'm so good. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited for this. I think I've pumped everybody up enough in my intro for you. I've been teasing this episode for some time because even just how we, you know, met and through all of that. And since you've entered my world, there's been so much breakthroughs and like just mind Fs that you've taken me on. So thanks for that. I got your book in the mail and it's what, 900 and something, 700 pages. Is that what it is, right? It's yeah. this huge, thick thing. And I I read it cover to cover. And I mean, and I know you could write like 10 more books on everything that, that you know, and so much wisdom, so much knowledge. And of course, part of our challenge is like, how do we put so much of that into this episode? We're going to do a great job at that. But <laughs> where I want to start is that, as I was telling you before the show, the 20th episode of my podcast, I talked about how I had used personality types and Myers-Briggs to understand a lot about myself. And then here's a way that you can do it and learn your type. Know thyself. That was the name of the title. And the title of this episode should be, You Don't Know Thyself and Self-Deception. Because I'm about to drop a really big bomb on people, which is that from that episode and for years prior, I've been saying, I'm INTJ. INTJ. I-N-T-J. And then we get on a call and you're like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't sit with that for, I think about a month. I chewed on that and rejected it for a while. And it wasn't until we continued working together and I saw how accurate your system is and what you're able to do to overcome the self-deception, like the antidote to self-deception, that I finally accepted it. Now I'm in a whole new place of just embracing it. So for the record, the closest type that I am in the Myers-Briggs world is ENFJ, correct? Yes. Okay. So let's, I, I would just love to start there for a moment and then we can kind of get into how you know this. Talk to us about a little bit about self-deception and how your, your method and what it is that you do helps to make self-deception a thing of the past. Like it's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, they think that they are introverts, but the reality is, is that they're inhibited 
extroverts. And when I realized that, I noticed a lot of people were mistyping themselves. Mm. So I was able to come up with a new way of understanding and typing people. It's a scientific intuitive approach based upon your phenotype, which is your appearance, also your motion patterns. And it's correlated so highly with your, your genotype, which is your genes. And when I figured that out, I realized that there was a way of knowing what people really were. Now, before this, a lot of people didn't know that you could kind of read a book by its cover in a way. They would just say, well, can't really read a book by its cover. But what I realized is there's these correlations between your eyes, your facial structure, your body type, the way that you move, and your personality type. So, a lot of people will take personality tests and they will receive a type that's different than what they are because what they're doing is they're taking the test based upon what they think they are rather than what they are. Mm. And some people would go, well, how would you know what I am? You don't know me from Adam. And what I say is, is that because your genetics is like an equation, you can figure out like with mathematics, what the graph looks like looking at the equation, or you can look at the graph and figure out what the equation is. Mm. And so what I discovered is, is that when I was first starting out, I would take around these books with me that had personality tests in them. Mm-hmm. And I would ask all of my friends and everyone around me to answer these questions. And what I noticed is that people were answering in a different way than I thought they would be. Can you give me a specific example of one of those questions? So one of the questions is, are you more conscientious or spontaneous? Right? So uh, almost all of these personality tests, yeah. they'll ask you an either or, right? And so these tests, they make it so that you have to choose one or the other. And then people get really highly, they get highly contextual. And they go, well, yesterday I was this way, around my friends I'm this way. With my family, I'm this way. Let's see. Well, I guess this is what I am. I'm conscientious. I'm on time to work. I take care of my business. I'm getting things done. But if you read um, the literature on conscientiousness, there's what is known as pseudo-conscientiousness. People who aren't naturally conscientious, but because of their job, they're forcing themselves to be on time. They're forcing themselves to do what they have to do. And so, What I often help people to see is that you have to see yourself as though you have no responsibilities, no context, and then you have all the money in the world and what would you behave like? Mm. Because people change their personality based upon context. So it's the person situation debate. So situations will make you behave in a certain way. And the thing is, is that if most people go to a funeral, they're not necessarily going to be their personality, right? Right. I think too, there's um, there's like values and ideals, right? Like I I know when I've been asked that question, I've always been like, well, I'd like to be more spontaneous. Like I like the idea of it, but I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And so there are a lot of people on the Myers-Briggs, especially that because their job requires them to be conscientious, they will think that they're J's rather than P's. And a lot of people who are inhibited, which means that they're going to be 
nervous or have anxiety or not always want to put themselves out there are going to type themselves as an introvert. So that's what I see happen to you. So you're an inhibited extrovert and people are like, what is an inhibited extrovert? That seems like it doesn't fit. That exists. Yes. It's, it's mm -hmm. an ambivert. Right. right. And that's really, I think that's just a huge thing to point out, you know, and just to spend some time here for a second. Cause yes, I was like, I know I'm an introvert. And you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> and so the inhibited is like, they are more reserved, hold back a bit more, you know, as you said, a little, they can get shy and nervous, but then, then what is an extrovert? Because people say that that's what is an introvert is someone who's like shy and nervous. And it's like, but you're saying, no, you're like a shy and nervous extrovert. So in your model definition, what does it mean to be that extrovert? Yeah, if you read about what extroversion is, it's changed over time. And this term was coined by Carl Jung, the Swiss psychoanalyst. And what it originally meant was to be outward turning. And mm. a lot of times people will associate extroversion with gregariousness and being forward or loud or putting themselves out there. But the reality is, it's not that you gain your energy from groups or people. That's what a lot of people throw right. around. And that was the way that I was teaching it. Is it, where do you get your, your energy from? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've learned that that's not how energy transfer works. So what I've discovered is, is that if your energy is directed outward, meaning that it makes you want to look around in a room. So you're in a classroom or you're at a dance or you're at a concert and you're just looking at people all the time and you can't help it. You need more stimuli. So that's why I would say that you're more of an inhibited extrovert rather than an introvert because you're looking around at what people are doing. You're not just in your head. And then also when you're a true extrovert, you're going to have more dopamine. So I say you're dopamine friendly. So that means you're going to smile more real smiles, laugh more real laughs. And the real smile is called a Duchenne smile. So you have to be able to smile with your eyes and your mouth. So around the eyes, it's called the orbicularis oculi. And on the sides of your mouth, it's called the zygomatics or the zygomatic major. So when you have those together, you're smiling a real smile. You're more dopamine friendly. And I noticed that people who are true extroverts, they're able to look around and, and they need more stimuli. I think there was something, I swear, I feel like you said something to me that, cause I was fighting it, you know, like when, when it becomes, and this is, I think something, I don't know if you want to touch on it, but I know you've dealt with it with a lot of people where people then get all into these types and then it becomes all wrapped up in their identity. And this is who I am. And for me, it was like, this is this badge of honor. This is who I am. Yes. And so I, I fought it. And I think where I finally gave up <laughs> this losing battle was when you're like, well, when you learn something or when you have something, what do you do with that? You look to give it to others. And I think you said something that was like introverts don't do that nearly as much as someone who's an extrovert. Is that accurate? Yeah. So this kind of falls under the category of a positive delusion. So people have these positive delusions and they often get them somewhere. So they're not always bad. I mean, it's positive in the sense that it's like you view yourself in a favorable light. And so mm. I call these personality masks. So when somebody wants to be seen as something and 
it doesn't necessarily match with their genetics, but it makes them feel good. It gets them to act. It gets them to go forward. There's a ton of people who are entrepreneurs who believe that they are INTJs. Mm-hmm. Totally. It has an incredible description of what it is. It has a really cool name. <laughs> and, uh, and so people who read it, they go, yeah, that's me. Or they may even type themselves as an INFJ. And that's supposed to be the rarest of the types, but actually it's not. But a lot of people want to get that rare type and then their self-esteem gets (laughs) a boost. Yeah, Yeah. they feel special. And so when people hear rare, they think special, unique. They want to be a unicorn, right? Well, when I told you that you said we were on our call and and Alex said, and what do you think your Myers-Briggs is? And I said, oh, INTJ. Just kind of like, yeah, of course you do. That's a really cool type. It's it's called the mastermind. (laughs) I was like, oh, dang. Okay. Well, anyways, yeah. So that was just, that was a huge first piece. But I want to make sure because there's so many areas we can go from here. So if we just add this inhibited and then the other side of that, uh, disinhibited, we now bring in this whole other variable. So... Can you, just so people have this first distinction, because this alone, if anybody already knows this world of like Myers-Briggs person, this should be so mind-blowing for you because it really was for me. And if you didn't know anything until now, you, you wouldn't have anything to compare it to. But can you just go a little deeper with like, we've got inhibited extroverts, but now we have disinhibited extroverts, inhibited introverts, and disinhibited. I mean, it creates like all these different types. Can you just kind of expand upon that for a second? For sure. So... A man named Jerome Kagan, he's the one that got me into understanding inhibition and disinhibition. So disinhibition is what is, you know, referred to as being uninhibited. So people associate that with extroversion. They think, yeah, well, I'm such an extrovert. I'm spaz. I'm doing all this stuff. But the reality is, is that it has to do with disinhibition, which is that you'll have less of these moments where you're looking before you leap. You're kind of diving in. Also, your voice will boom. It will carry rather than trail off. So people who are uninhibited, they'll want to be around strangers and kind of perform. So like a good example of a person who's uninhibited is Jim Carrey. So he's just, I think he's 50. He still has this energy. Now, some of the things that he's doing are a little bit more somber. But for the most part, he has this energy. He's expressive with his face. So people who are disinhibited or uninhibited, they're going to be someone who is going to put themselves out there, going to talk to strangers more naturally. So rather than just like, oh, yeah, I just love people. It's like your brain compels you to be dynamic. Put this energy out. You won't necessarily look before you leap. You'll kind of just dive in. Yeah. And that's... Definitely what was especially not me. Like as I looked back in my life, I wouldn't describe any of those attributes. You know, I was always the shy one, the hesitant one, and the person that wouldn't want to start a conversation with a stranger in line at the bank. And even when someone started a conversation with me, I was like, oh, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm nervous. I would say, oh, that's, I'm an introvert. But now we know. So what does a, hearing all of this, like what is a disinhibited introvert tend to look like? Okay. So people who are disinhibited introverts, they don't move their faces as much. They don't smile as many real smiles, laugh as many real laughs. They have this dynamism, but they're not moving their face as much. 
So they have energy that helps them to either perform or do what they're meant to do, but they don't move their face as much. They're not as expressive, demonstrative. They don't gesticulate as much. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into all the face stuff in a moment because that's just going to just going to blow your minds. But I want people listening. Like I think this is adding this new distinction opens up so much because how many people are saying, "Well, I'm both," right? And it's like, well, now you know why because it's like there was a invisible distinction that wasn't there. I'm sometimes I'm like this, sometimes like I'm like that. I want to ask one more question and it's kind of a selfish question, but I think it will help to see how I went through this like, wait, what? I I was so convinced for so long. And the story I told on that episode, episode 20, was someone who typed me. They actually came to me and said, you like this. You tend to think like this. You operate like that. You don't do this and you don't do this and you're very much like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did you know all this about me? And he goes, you're an INTJ. And so we've gotten some clarity around, I'm an E. I'm an inhibited E, but the T from your diagnosis is assessment is an F. How could I have been so off with that? What was I missing in my self-deception that would have had me label as a T and not an F and others as well, obviously? Yes. So in my approach, I have what are called temperament or personality lineups. And what this is, is that you're like a coach of your traits and you have all stars and bench warmers. So everybody has both sides of the coin within them. You're both a T and an F. However, based upon what you were doing at the time, you felt more like a T and chances are when this person described you, they didn't necessarily say all the things that you were. They just touched upon some of the things that the INTJ is. And then you're just like, yes, (laughs) Uh, He didn't probably go into depth about what the F is. And what I found is, is that everybody's both, but there's a relative predominance. And what that is, is that your all-stars are your best players. Your bench warmers are your minor players that you put in to rest your all-stars. So what happened was, is that you were putting in your bench warmer and because you were using it so much, it felt like, yeah, that's who I am. The reality is, is that if you really looked at what you are, taking away all context, the things that you were doing, the things you were trying to accomplish, if you had all the money in the world, no responsibilities, would you be focusing on connecting with people and helping them to learn and progress? Or would you take the human element out, be focusing on quarks and ohms and statistics (laughs) and numbers? When you say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow. And you kept using those questions on us because if I didn't say it in the intro, Alex came and typed and shared with our whole team and then he came and did it with our entire mastermind. And that's a really powerful question that you asked there. I wanted to ask then what can become some of the implications if there are some, because I think you talk about this a bit, if we're overusing our bench player, which might be what a lot of people are doing, which is also why I think this conversation is so important. What happens if we're using our bench player too much. Yes. If people are using their bench warmers way too much, then it leads to too much adaptation. You can have health problems, tight neck, back, stomach problems, all sorts of tension, headaches, different things like that. So people they have more anxiety. And so they have a lack of self-congruence. Mm. What that is, is that 
who they think they are does not match who they are and their body rejects it because it has things it wants to do. And if you go against it for too long, you pay for it. So there's a cost to being a poor coach of your, your players, your traits. Yeah. So what I say is, is that if you want to be a championship team, you could put in all your bench warmers and just work them to the bone and maybe you're going to achieve something. But in the end, you won't be happy with the result because you're not using your all-stars. And your all-stars are there for a reason, for a purpose, right? So might as well use them. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, I mean, the sad part is, is that either use it or lose it, mm. but you have atrophy if you don't use them. And so some people who put in their bench warmers for like 20 years, they try to go back to who they are and it's hard. So there's a bunch of people that are meant to be like the sunshine, but because they decided to be an entrepreneur, they became really icy and mechanical and tough minded. And they've really had to go back into who they really are and figure out, okay, well, what's really happening here? Why am I not fulfilled after achieving success? And the reason why is because there's not self-congruence. That's why it's so important that we know ourselves, know thyself, and that we don't let this self-deception rule us any longer. Because I think just about everyone on my team who knew their Myers-Briggs and everyone in the mastermind that already knew their Myers-Briggs had at least one letter difference when you took them through. (laughs) And that sent some people through... I warned them too, you know, I warned them. I told you guys, right? I was like, there might be a little bit of an identity crisis happening and I am gonna, you know, warn you guys with Alex's stuff. There might be some of that, you know? But I do wanna give the testament that, you know, and and an update to you, buddy, that like, since I've just so embraced this now, like I rejected it first. I was like, I don't wanna be ENFJ. What is that? That's lame. And I love it now. And I've just, I've like fallen in love with it. And like, and who I am, you know, and it's like, is getting honest with who you are and like not denying that truth. And no, I wanted to be the like logical scientist. And it's like, I can still tap into that, but I'm the scientist so that I could help people and like connect with them and break, you know, it's like for that purpose. And so I'm like, oh, I get that now. So thank you. And there is beauty on the other side of that breakdown if that happens to you. Yeah, my pleasure. But I want to go obviously now deeper to what I found to be still the biggest, what's the adjective I'm looking for? Just like mind-boggling piece of your entire system. Because if you guys haven't figured it out, he's, he's Alex has spent years creating his own system, you know, and I, you know, I'm going to interpret it differently, obviously than you, and I've got my own experience of it, but at the heart of it is the way in which you discover your type. And it's not through these tests where, as Alex has already said, a lot of self-deception and contextual experiences can distort what your answers become. And so you mentioned phenotype and genotype. What does that mean? Can you go deeper with this and even kind of start to share like the breadcrumbs and story of how you were able to connect the dots with the outward personality and genotype and phenotype? So when I started uh, learning about personality tests was in college. I had someone that brought personality book to me and then it set me on this journey 
of self-discovery, figuring things out. And I realized that I really wanted to know myself and others so that I could help people. Early on in my life, I had to deal with tragedy. My whole family was in a car accident. I woke up on the side of the road when I was eight years old in pain. And my little brother died. Mm. So because of that, I became a really reflective person and I questioned a lot of things and I decided that I wanted to, to help people so that they could alleviate suffering, deal with their problems. Uh, Cause I know I felt so horrible. I felt the loss and things like that. So that's kind of how I got started. But then in college, I decided I wanted to learn how to help people because I thought, well, I am really interested in the mind. I ended up getting a master's degree in psychology. And what interested me the most was personality psychology. So what I started out with was just taking quizzes, figuring it out. And then I started to see patterns, things I did not expect. And it got to the point where I was like, wow, these people are taking these tests and they're getting results that I never would have expected. What's going on here? Is there something wrong with the test or is it user error? Come to find out, it is mostly user error. Now, Hmm. sure, people could fix these tests and make them better question or phrase in a certain way or not biased towards certain groups. But what I found is, is that there's a high correlation between the way that you look, move, and your body type and your genetics. And this was after looking at the people that I kind of watched as they took their tests. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So what I noticed is that people that are more conscientious, objective, and more linear, they had stronger jawlines, stronger features. There was a lot of angularity to them. And then on the other side of the coin, people that are often more spontaneous, tenderhearted, a little bit more whimsical, they have more nonlinear traits. This might sound crazy, and it does sound crazy, but when you look at it, it doesn't. And, you know, Alex, when I first started going through his stuff, he'd show me side-by-side pictures, right? You'd like, in the book and pictures you'd send me, see, look at the difference between these people. And, and, and when they're people you know, like famous people, and you kind of know they're already the type of person they are, you, you see it, but we're not looking. Most of us haven't been trained to look at that and draw those correlations. Then, Alex, you came into the office and you would like say, just, you know, look at this person's face. Are they more round or are they more pointy? And unanimously... We'd all say round or we'd all say pointy. And we're like, and are they more like this or more like that? And 100% of the time, the their personality and their temperaments matched those features. There's a science behind that. I mean, it's not just like luck or randomness. So I don't know. It's just, it's pretty profound to me. What would you say to the person that says that's nonsense, right? That there's no way that you can look at how someone looks and just know their type kind of thing. Yeah, What I say to that is taxonomists have known for a long time that how you classify different species is based upon how they look and their functionality. So that's not new. And the more closer DNA code, the closer they're going to look. And it's so fascinating. So I'm just out of curiosity because like, 
to give you guys a glimpse at what Alex did at our mastermind, it was like a magic show, right? Because you just walk up to someone you'd never met and you're just describing them. Like, And some of these members felt like you saw them more than they saw themselves. Like, wait a second, I've spent my whole life trying to hide this from the world and you just saw it in an instant. Like people were moved. They were emotional, crying. How long does it take? Just out of curiosity, like how quickly and and like what's the shortest time and like the longest time it normally takes when you're with someone in person before you can have them typed? Most of the time it's instantaneous. Wow. You can do it within a second because it's about recognition. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, they think, don't psychoanalyze me. How long is this going to take? I say, I don't psychoanalyze. I recognize people. Mm. The only time I take a little bit longer is if a person is kind of being a little bit different than what they really would be naturally. So I have to see beyond the facade. Yeah. So what a facade would be is, of course, like a, a mask or a veneer, something that's hiding them. I also call it a personality mask. So what would happen is, is that they would be a different body type than normal, or maybe they put on some weight in their face. And so there was someone in the mastermind who I had to kind of sit with and like look at their face and I had to see what their face shape was like because it was ambiguous. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So most of the time it's instantaneous, but when it's ambiguous, I have a hard time. So people fit in three categories. That is self-deceived, self-actualized, and self-transcended. The ones that are self-deceived and self-transcended are the hardest to instantaneously recognize. People who are self-actualized are the easiest because they're being themselves. So people who are self-deceived, they don't know what they are most of the time versus some of the time, or they're wearing a mask, trying to be something that they're not. People who are self-actualized are being natural, living their life as though they are an authentic being. And then if they're self-transcended, they're being above what they naturally are. So they're kind of rising above their natural tendencies and they're being their higher self. So people who are self-transcended are sometimes hard to see because they will behave in a way that's not fully their type. So everybody's at different levels. Mm -hmm. And is that what you kind of recommend is the destination is to get to like a self-transcended state? Absolutely. The thing is that most people with their personalities, it isn't advantageous for them to take that plunge until they're ready because some personalities, they're better off being deceived until they can really get the habits, the skills to be able to handle things. And so you'd say, well, why would you want someone to stay asleep or not be able to wake up? Well, if you've seen the matrix, when you wake up to what some things are, it's kind of hard to take. Mm. So you have to be ready to see things as they really are. Now, self-actualized types, they will move in patterns that are natural to their type. Their face shapes will be natural to what I would expect. And then if someone is self-transcended, they're ready to be their higher self. What they are is going to be, a, they're going to be a good coach. They're going to be a good coach of their, their all-stars and their bench warmers. They know when to put different players in. They're just a really good coach. So it's not that people who are self-actualized aren't good coaches, but they're just mainly playing their MVPs. And a lot of people who are self-deceived, they're pretty much playing their bench warmers and occasionally throwing in their all-stars. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So these, I think these three 
phases or milestones. I think that I've seen them as like milestones are really significant, deceived to actualize, to transcend it or self-deceived, self-actualized, self-transcended. But I just think in general, knowing who you truly are, there's so, there's so many benefits to it. You, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when you know your actual default personality type, it helps you with successful adjustment. So this is not a term that a lot of people know, but it's like being well-adjusted. It's critical to mental health. People who are well-adjusted, they know who they are and they have the skills to be able to handle life's ups and downs. So self-distortions, they can often stop you from achieving everything that you want because if you just put in your bench warmers, it can only take you so far, right? So in the short term, if you do things where you're deceived, it can help you, but it doesn't help you in the long run. Only when you are authentic and that you are being your innate personality type. So this is a distinction that a lot of people don't think about because if you Google personality, it will tell you that you can change your personality over time. And I do believe that, but your innate personality which is known as a temperament, it's very difficult to change. Mm. So it's important that people know that because people are like, well, I change my personality all the time. I believe you, but your innate personality, which means you're built in, the one that you were born with. So I believe that you were born with an innate personality and you die with that innate personality and you can modify it. But if you don't work with it and you work against it, you'll have often health problems, that incongruence be between who you think you are and who you are leads to dissatisfaction in relationships. You won't make as many decisions that will really help you in the long term. So everybody these days is wearing protective masks, but they're not realizing that they're also wearing these personality masks, mm. which are personas. They have this facade and both kind of masks protect you. So, People want to be protected from being seen for who they really are. Because when you actually go, well, this is me, you're really vulnerable. I think a lot of times these days, especially like with the entrepreneurs that I've talked with, they don't want to be seen fully for who they are, but they want to have like an image or something that makes them feel like, yes, this is who I'm supposed to be, or this is the way I want you to see me. But when you can embrace that vulnerability and be authentic then you can be a better coach, someone who puts in their players at the right time. And so a lot of people are, are really tired or worn out. And like currently people are frustrated. A lot of people don't have security. They don't have certainty. And becoming who you're supposed to be will provide you more certainty. It'll help you to feel like, yes, I know myself. And when you center yourself, it makes it so that you can move forward. So when you're not centered, when your self is split or fractured, you're all over the place. But when you center yourself, you have a starting point. Mm. When you have that starting point, you can take it any direction that you want. But the problem is, is that people will think that they can be this to one person or put on a face to others and that they can be centered. But the reality is that they're fractured. So when you center yourself, you can get somewhere and get to the place that you want to go. 
That is so good. So powerful. And just circling back, because I know you and I have talked about this in person. Maybe this is worth touching upon briefly when people talk about like changing personality. A lot of things that people are describing as changing personality are more about like, what would you call them? More like virtues and habits, right? Like becoming more honest or more loyal or something. Is that different than personality? And then if so, like, what do you really mean by innate personality? What's an example of a temperament versus something like that? Yes. So there's people out there that don't believe the personalities exist or that they don't matter very much and that habits matter more. Now that's true to kind of get you where you want to go. But the truth is, is that innate personalities are, are hardwired into you. Well, I should say pre-wired into you. And it's like someone who is inhibited, there is a brain wiring and a type of brain that you've been given that makes you look before you leap. And it'll stay with you the rest of your life, but you can become braver. So by being able to integrate your trauma or to overcome the fears that you have by exposing yourself to fearful situations. So everybody who has phobias, they have to go through this process of exposing themselves to something similar to it until they can deal with the thing. So you could say, well, I'm born with maybe like a fear of heights. So if you have a fear of heights, it's not necessarily going to go away. It'll always be there, but you can, you can become braver. And so those are the habits, but inside of you, you've got your, what is called your amygdala, which is your fear center, which will be firing. And you have to be able to quiet that. Mm. So there's that instinctual side of you that is built in. And so if you're inhibited, you're born inhibited, you die inhibited, but you become better at handling situations. Experience helps you over time. So that's what I say is if, as you gain experience, you won't be as fearful. You'll see how things can be done. And this man, Jerome Kagan, he did longitudinal studies, which are long-term studies, 30 and 40 year studies about inhibition and disinhibition. And when he first started out, he was like, I think the nurture is much more powerful than nature. But after these longitudinal studies, he realized he was wrong. He saw the power of nature and that you don't want to overcome nature. And it's not nature versus nurture. It's nature via nurture. Say that last part again. It's So it's nature via nurture. And so what is that? Tell me, tell me what that means. So what that means is, is that you have your nature and then you work with it. So when you have an upbringing, how your parents treat you, the way that they help you, teach you lessons. It forms and shapes you, but it does not really affect your innate personality type. Mm. There's studies that have been shown that growing up in a certain family does not really affect your innate personality, but it does affect your character. It affects yeah. your habits. It affects your psychological well-being. Well, and I, I just love this too, because what you talking about the inhibited and getting braver is like how you would sum up my experience over the years, you know, it's like, I just, I just always had that like hesitation or a little fear, like, like in college, like first day of class, all right, let's go around the room and introduce yourself or something. I was always nervous to do that. I'd always like, oh, maybe I got to write down my answer and then I'll just read, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. And today it's like, 
just how you described it. It's like, oh, you just get braver at it or you just do it so many times that it's it's not as scary, but it's it's like it's still there as a, you know, it's inhibited in some way. So I think that's such an important dis- distinction and character, you can build character, you can build habits, but that that innate personality is, is still there. So yeah, man, that's that's really huge. I love that. So what else are people doing as they get into this world, what else are they doing to, you know, block themselves from from accurately typing themselves? People become so highly contextual that they struggle to see what they are. That's the first thing. The other thing is, is that everybody pretty much has a sociometer except for psychopaths. So what a sociometer is, is you care about how other people view you. So the mm-hmm. reason why psychopaths don't really have a sociometer is because they often don't really care. They don't have empathy, so they can't really put themselves in their, in your shoes. But because people have empathy, they care about what other, other people think about them. So people have to make a concerted effort to not just look a certain way in front of people, to please people. Yeah. Do you, do you agree that there are people that will declare I don't care what people think of me because that's what they want them to think of them, that they don't care about what others think of them. Yeah. The sad part is, is that everybody has a sociometer and cares what other people think about them, except for psychopaths. So what they're saying is I'm a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Or that's what I want you to think about me. I want you to think I'm a sociopath. Yeah. Psychopath. Yeah. Like when sports stars say, yeah, I'm not signing this contract because of the money. Well, it's because of the money. (laughs) (laughs) they they pretend that they're not doing it for the money, but they just want to look a certain way. Mm. And that's how everybody is. And so people want to minimize the likelihood of rejection. People want to be seen as doing the thing that everybody likes. So like back in the day, it was cool more to be kind of a jock. And now it's kind of cooler to be a nerd. And so if people act like, Oh, I'm such a nerd. I, I watch, you know, first screenings of the Avengers, you know, (laughs) that doesn't make you a nerd. But everybody says that I'm such a nerd. But the reality is, is that they want to feel like they belong. So that's one of the core needs. And when people feel like they belong, they're part of the herd. The thing is, is that when you're part of the herd, you actually become invisible. Mm. So the thing is, people want to be like, see me as this individual, but also as a part of the herd. (laughs) And so they'll say things that are conflicting. And then when they go and take a personality test, they don't realize that there's an incongruence and they get all sorts of answers. Yeah, (laughs) completely. Okay. So I have to imagine at this point for people listening to this, especially people who have taken the test, they're going to be like, okay, so then what's the solution? The first thing I'm going to say is, you know, because we got connected through a mutual friend and I just said, hey, how do we work together? And we just got on a call. I sent you a few pictures and you, we, we did that over the phone. It was unbelievable. It was incredible. I loved it. And so I'm going to make a huge plug and push to, you know, I don't know if people will still be able to because there's going to be a ton of people listening to this. So you might have a new problem on your hand, Alex. But for those who can, find a way to work with Alex so that he can, you know, he can use everything he's developed to, um, you know, really bypass this deception, this distortion and get that assessment. But in the meantime, and even on this episode, what else can we really start doing to know ourselves better and get to the truth of who we really are, get to that authenticity? People have to understand 
that they're made up of dualities. Many people who take these tests, they don't even realize how they're set up. And what a duality is, is of course, two opposites. It's like two sides of the same coin. So if you think about justice and mercy. So I kind of gave a little helpful hint in regards to seeing things outside of context. When you take these tests, think of yourself in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is not like a vacuum that sucks up things, but like the science vacuum where there's no context. Now, that's really hard for a lot of people because they're thinking very contextually, very situationally. So if you can somehow kind of take yourself out of all of your responsibilities, the fact that you feel like you have to do things. So if you were to think, wow, okay, so let's strip away my job, take away my responsibilities with either my kids or my family. I no longer have a spouse. What would I do with my time if I could just have pure creation? If I could just do whatever I want? And this is what happens to a lot of people who like win the lottery or they hmm. become a star or they become a millionaire and then they just have all this money. So they start deciding what they want to buy, what they want to do, what they want to set up. And so that's really the state of mind that you have to be in. However, if you want a total immersive experience. I have a company that I call Inner Shift. It's all about personal transformation, helping teams to be able to be more cohesive, harmonious, communicate better. And also I help companies. And so we could have a number of different kinds of sessions with you where you could figure out if who you think you are matches who you really are. And you can see firsthand just how I do it. So I like to kind of compare the experience to like a little bit like a magic show because people are just so astounded. So it's interesting because over time people have been referring to me as different things like the face guy or the personality guru or whatever. But I actually focus on the transformation. So from that framework of self-deception, self-actualization, self-transcendence, I really want to help people to open up their eyes, become less distorted in their views about themselves. So that's the first step that we go through. Second step is once you realize who you are, you then can make more decisions about your career. Or if you feel like this is the career for you, maybe you can retool yourself or figure out what's best for you. I focus on relationships. And then ultimately, I want people to be able to get from self-actualization to self-transcendence. A couple of things I want to unpack because, you know, you came in and didn't just come in with our mastermind and have since worked with a ton of our members from that point forward, but you came in and worked with our, with our team. <laughs> and that was, that was illuminating. I think at one point you're like, you don't have any J's on the team except you. <laughs> oh no, there were, we had two, we had two. There but, were a few. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it was like, dude, you got a lot of P's in here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Not that it's a bad thing, but it's just like you see like this over, you know, balance. So I do want to talk about some of that in a moment about how that once you start to know yourself, how that affects, you know, teamwork, communication, even like knowing your audience and all that type of stuff. But I want to go back to what you talked about as creating this vacuum for a moment, eliminating context, because I think that's really profound. I don't think people are doing that. I think we answer any and every question and you know, in some sort of context, you know, and then I wonder the implications even beyond that, right? Like 
I talked to a client today and, and she was talking about the pressure she still feels from her parents' approval as an adult, you know, with kids of her own. And it's like, I need mom's approval. And how much of how we are saying about ourselves is because that's what mom or dad needs us to be so we can get their love about our religious upbringings, our beliefs, the neighborhood we grew up in, right? The, our culture, all of that. Do you see that all playing a role in creating that distortion? Absolutely. People will change who they are to meet their needs, even if it's in unhealthy ways. For example, people will give up their natural propensities, their loves, so that they can receive love. So people want to feel like they're enough. They want to feel like they're good enough, that people love them, that they belong. And so people will give up even their cherished values so that they can meet their needs. And so what I found is, is that to be really a vibrant personality, you have to go against the grain. You have to go against the herd. You have to go against what people think of you. And that's tough because like I said, everybody has the sociometer and they go, Hmm, what are people going to think of me if I wear this funny outfit? Or what are people going to think of me if I have this job? Will I be liked? Will I be loved? Will I be cherished? Will I be seen? All these things. So what it ultimately comes down to is that people will give up their authenticity for their needs almost every time. Mm. You know where this gets really messed up is when you realize that the audience you're talking to, most of us are personal brands. So then we connect the need to be liked and loved to money, survival, sales, and success. Hey, I was going to do this podcast or I'm going to do this video or I'm going to share this content. Will they like it? Will they buy from me? You know, and I don't want them to not like it because then I, that implicates that I'm now it's a threat to my own survival. But we both know that that's silly too, right? Because it's kind of this funny paradoxical cosmic joke the people we tend to like the most are the ones that go, wow, there's, I just love that she has the courage to speak her truth. And I just love that she doesn't care what anyone else thinks about. I love that. You know, how much that's so courageous, so authentic, so real, so raw. And it's just kind of funny how life works, you know? Totally. Do you have any thoughts? Like what is your opinion when, when you notice and recognize how many people are, you know, creating a persona or, or denying the truth of who they really are to be loved, show people that they're enough, that they're worthy. Do you have any thoughts and perspectives out of all the experience and work you've done on, on that conversation of, you know, people being enough, being loved? Yeah, that is something that comes up quite a bit. People will not necessarily be as brave as they need to be even to self-actualize, but a lot of what you're talking about is actually self-transcendence. Mm. So first step, if they're going to be themselves and be loved, it's scary. But what I say is, is that it'll be in the long term rewarding because you have to help people to get used to who you are. This is a crazy thing, but this happens in couples all the time. There's like a meal that one of the spouses will make and the person will act like they liked it. And so then... <laughs> It gets made over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the end, there's a blow up because the person says, I thought that you liked it. You pretended all this time. Mm. Okay. 
So it blows up in your face. So what I say is, is that wow. if you want short-term success, just be a chameleon. Mm. If you want long-term success, be authentic and then let people get used to you so you don't have to act. So that's the thing is that that's a lot of acting. That's mm. a lot of remembering of what your, your identity is. Wow. It's so much headspace that you have to take up just remembering how you're supposed to be for everybody rather than going with your authentic self. That's beautiful. So much energy. Gosh, I just feel like people listening to me like it gives a lot of people permission to just drop that, you know? So that's, yeah, yeah, that's really awesome. All right. So you mentioned before dualities, you know, I believe universally speaking, yeah, we live in, it's the law of duality, right? So I love that. And so you see these dualities in our personalities. Can you share more about those so people can start to get a sense of what those are specifically and maybe even how those become applicable and relevant for our entrepreneurial listeners and those that are thinking of starting a business. Oh, for sure. So going back to the dualities, they're inherent in nature and so important to understand, especially when it comes to communication and making it so that teams and groups and companies can work together. So the first duality that I have in my system and uh, approach is the point versus the wave. Now, the reason why I use these is because I figured out by studying the MBTI, the Kiersey Sorter, other groups, that they didn't quite hit upon what the, the P and the J were. So for those who know the MBTI, P is perceiver, the J is judger. I noticed when I was first starting, I would use the P and the J, and anytime someone was a J, they go, I'm not a judger. I'm not <laughs> judgmental. I'm so good at perceiving. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then when people would, they wouldn't even say that because they'd be like, well, what does even perceiving mean? It's like, right. I see stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you have to get to the definitions. And so I thought, well, let's think of something that just by looking at it, you can know what it is. It's mm, good. So when people get to the point, chances are their points, unless they're putting in their bench warmers. And then if somebody is kind of living their life more up and down and fluid, it's like a wave. Mm. So it's like part of the brain, which is called the anterior cingulate gyrus, it causes a tension shift. So a lot of people who are points, they can focus a little bit more naturally. And that's why they would be naturally conscientious. Now, that doesn't mean that wave types can't be conscientious, but they're often pseudo-conscientious. And what they do is they put in their bench warmer, which is their minor player, and they are able to kind of act more conscientious. But the reality is, is if I stripped away all the context and all the pressure and then their role, they're going to go right back into being their wavy self. Well, a great example of this is when you typed Jilly, our integrator, who we've had many times on the show, we're like, oh, ENTJ. And the first thing you pointed out is that she's a P, you know, by Myers-Briggs standards or wave. And we were like, no way. And then I remember at one point, either she read or you, I think it was you said something to her because she, she brought it back to my attention. She said, so I think it was you that said like, well, the ENTJ type has a hard time like shutting off and then like relaxing and, you know, doing the fun stuff. And she's like, I have no problem with that. Like, it's like, I can go from work mode to party mode like that. 
Yeah, that's really that's really good. Can you also share because I loved how you actually came up with the distinction between point and wave and the the connection you saw or the metaphor of like quantum physics and all that because I th- I just thought that was really fascinating. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I was reading a, a book about the quantum brain and quantum collapse, and inside every atom of your body, there's an electron that goes around a nucleus, and according to one theory, starts off in a wave-like formation. It's nonlinear. It's pure potentiality. But then according to the theory, if you observe it, it turns into a particle or a point. So when I was reading about that, I was like, wow, people are like that. Mm. They have this pure potentiality, but then when it's collapsed or coalesces into something that's solid, the particle, that it becomes actual. So potentiality to actuality. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, that is the fundamental of what this is. And, you know, I was bouncing around in my head about this P and the J, you know, the perceiver and judger. And I'm like, I'm going to throw out this PJ thing, even though it served me for a little bit. And I'm like going to insert this because this relates to communication. People can look at these shapes or these little pictures and they can kind of know. So if I say, all right, who's more roundabout in their way of speaking, points or waves? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> wave, it goes roundabout. You can actually see it. And then a point type is going to be more sharp with their speech. And what I say is, what's at the end of a sword? <laughs> a point. Okay, so sometimes point types, when they're being natural, they can be like a porcupine. And yeah. so a lot of wave types, when they hear point language, it sounds mean. It sounds harsh. And a lot of points don't realize that Waves will give you freedom when they speak. They'll say, want to grab that for me? Can you maybe think about getting this for me? Or a bunch of us are grabbing this if you want to come. So they, they like to make it so that there's freedom. There's like one step in between making that decision. And when groups and teams and companies realize this, their communication just changes. Yeah. Just being aware of it. Because we have a point on the team and... She was realizing she was having, she didn't, she didn't know how to pinpoint it, but she was having what, you know, minor frustration. She's like, oh, it's all these waves I'm dealing with. And she's like, just get to the point. Just get, you know, just, you know, she works really well with me because I'm another point. And so she just loves, it's like such a breath of fresh air. And I'm like, I'm just directing to the point. She's like, okay, thank you. Got it. Boom. So yeah. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. And this happens a lot. So if someone is given a position where they have to ask people to do things or they have to interrupt or they have to butt in and they're wave and inhibited, it's difficult for them because they'll think, well, I don't want to bother you and I don't want to be mean. So then they kind of dance around things and then the point needs the information, but they don't get it. And then they ask, well, how come you didn't bring that to me? And I was like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. Mm. And so (laughs) it becomes this sort of politeness thing. And so, point types are seen often as speaking in command form, like, grab that for me. What are you doing? What's your schedule like? And even though it's not mean or even commanding, it sounds that way to waves. So, I do workshops with points and waves. And in the end, they start to see each other, value each other, and then the change takes place and it's like magic. That's, mm-hmm. that's the best part. When people will have that aha moment where they go, 
wow, my speech is actually like taking away their freedom or, oh, that's why that sounds that way. And so teams become much more cohesive, harmonious. So have you noticed things in your on your, on your team? Um, it, yes. And, and again, it's, it's as simple as the compassion and understanding. Just like starting there, it's such a powerful foundation of just... I've had every member come to me and tell me they're like, yeah, now when I work with so-and-so, I acknowledge more of their wave or I, you know, cause it, cause it goes both ways. Like that point wants you to get to the point, you know? So I'm, I'm a little bit more intentional with just yeah, like being direct with them. Cause I know that that's what they appreciate. And it's just like amazing, you know, just know more about yourself and then know about more about why the people you work with are the way that they are. So it's been awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so I, I realized that the point types, they want to know how to do it right. Mm. They want it spelled out in certain ways so that they can get it right. The wave types, they often want more of the experience and to feel a certain way. And so the point types will need more feedback. The waves will need more of an experience. And when you learn this as well, then you can talk to your teams. You can talk to people within your company and then they'll feel so loved. So I call these personality languages. And these personality languages are based upon the innate personality. And so it's just a natural way that you want to, to be. So if somebody has a personality language, they're going to be, they're more direct or indirect. And people who are naturally direct, it's the shortest distance between two points. Mm-hmm. People who are indirect, they're going to wander, meander. They're going to be more wordy. So, because they're more wordy, it will seem to some point types like they're not serious or they're not leadership material or maybe we're not going to promote them because they don't seem like they got it ever, everything together. But the reality is, is that they could be ex- extremely competent. They're just being polite and roundabout. And to the point, especially the linear thinking point, they'll think they're a little bit more wishy-washy. The reality is there's competent people who are points or waves. And remember, everybody is a coach of these dualities. So you have either your point as your all-star or your wave as your all-star, and then the opposite will be your bench warmer. Yes, that's why it's a duality. You have both. This is so awesome. (laughs) So I have a question for you. So I know you have a series of, you know, different different dualities and and we got a touch of that. But something that I think was really valuable to the mastermind, they really enjoyed it, was the talking about the different seasons. And I think it becomes this this metaphor because most of us know that every season ha- comes with it certain themes, you know, like winter is very different time than springtime. And that you found correlations with these same themes in the seasons as with the different themes of someone's innate personality. Do you want to briefly go over the the different seasons? Oh, yes. So, I think it was on the March 2nd episode. There were a lot of people in your mastermind that spoke about their type and seeing that they were something else. And what I found is people fit either in a season or in between a season with their natural innate personality. And if you think about the seasons in regards to the weather and then kind of what's done, if you were to think about it in a sort of agricultural time, you'll kind of understand more of where you fit and what you can do in this world. So 
what happened at the mastermind is there were people that without knowing it thought they were a winter type but in reality they were a summer type so people who listened to the march 2nd episode probably wouldn't know exactly what that is but you kind of have a general idea so I'm going to kind of go through each of the seasons to kind of describe and then how it's applicable. So springtime, it's a mixture of cold and warm. So it's, we've gotten out of winter, the ice has melted. And for kind of an agricultural theme, it's the time where you plant or you sow. This is synonymous with conception. So coming up with ideas. So these types are idea people. Now, if you were to think about physics and as things go up, they get colder. So that's the cold front. And if you were to be like Superman going up, it's going to be cold up there, but then you can have this bird's eye view. You're kind of taking a look at what's going on so you can see patterns. So these types like to be creative with their solutions. They want to innovate. They want to bounce ideas off other people. They want to have a sounding board. They also want to blow minds, have creative sessions. And so that's what that type is all about. Next, we have summer. These types, they follow the weather of summer. So summer is a warm time. The weather's nice. It's often pleasant. And if you think about what a farmer would do during that time is they would nurture, they would water, they would fertilize, they would take care of the crops. So these types are nurturers. Also, the weather is nice, so you can enjoy vacation, you can play, you can have fun. So these types are meant to be like the sunshine, to ignite passions within people, to help them to enjoy their lives, and to help people to figure out all that there is to do and to find out because they're optimists, and also it's all about being alive. Next, I'll give kind of an in-between season, which is the summer autumn, because it was mentioned in that episode, there were people that were saying that there were summer autumns. And these types I call the nurturing harvesters. So they're a nurturing type, but then they're also like autumn. And what do farmers do in autumn? They harvest. So that's the time to get to work. So autumn types are the conscientious, hardworking, get things done type of people. But if you're a summer autumn, that means you're in between the two. And so a lot of these people are really good at doing step-by-steps. They're really good at often getting things done or at least checking things off their list. And they're go, go, go. Next, we have winter. Winter types are going to follow the weather. So there's a, there's a coldness to winter. So they're really in their heads or introverted, really thinking. But they also like to take a bird's eye view. And so they're looking at all the patterns. And so they want to see how everything measures up. So they'll find flaws in systems and theories and programs and everything. So these types are going to be really good at finding the flaws. So in a way, that's like being pessimistic. Now, these types aren't always like the sky is falling or it's a horrible day, but they're pessimists in the sense that they're like, well, prove to me that this is right rather than everything's going to work out. <laughs> so, so in regards to these winter types, they're very theoretical. They can find the patterns and they can really cut to the center of things. So they really cut to the heart of things and analyze things, understand things and they revolutionize. 
Now, if you think about this in regards to agriculture, it's a time where you stop doing the harvesting, but you're putting all of the grain or the yield into either silos or places to be stored. And so these people, these types store knowledge and also think about how they can improve the next year's yield. And this is so awesome. (laughs) I hope that in going through these that people can start to see which one they could find themselves in. You also mentioned that people will be these like in between. If I recall, I'm winter spring. Yes. And I found that so funny. There weren't a lot of people in the room, the mastermind that were, there's one other winter, if I recall. I found that interesting because a lot of what we do like in our programs, (laughs) it's so funny. Like a big thing I push everyone to do and it's become like a huge like tradition or theme or, you know, infamous thing we do is every project, every promotion, everything we do, I, I make our students do a debrief which is a total winter activity. It's like, you finished. Now let's get to the bottom of this, analyze it, look at what you did so we can improve it for next time. Yeah. So you're winter spring and I didn't touch upon all the in-betweeners. I just kind of focused on one of them, but Mm -hmm. I'll focus on this one because there's a number of entrepreneurs that are winter spring. So to be winter spring, winter brings about the death of things. But then spring brings about new life. So people who are really good at breaking things down, understanding how things work, and then bring about transformation are that winter. But then you have the spring, which means that you're all about ideas, rebirth, renaissance, making things new. And so whoever is in this category, their brain says, I need to help people to progress. I need to progress. I need to become more balanced. I need to get rid of this horrible thing that's in my life and then start afresh. So you'd say, well, everybody does that. Actually not. A lot of types, they will go with what their default setting is. So what happens to a lot of summer types is they don't even want to go to winter. It feels like a bad, Mm. icky place. So what they'll do is, is that they'll just be very optimistic and shine the sunshine on everything and go, yeah, everything's fine, no big deal. And they'll sweep it under the rug. So then things build up and they don't take care of their needs or they have shelved something for so long that it's gotten rotten. Yeah. And so winter springs are the best at going, let's get rid of this thing now, bring about the death of this old way of doing things and have the rebirth and renewal so that we can start afresh. Hmm. Oh, so awesome. I love this. And and the mastermind, they just, they really resonated with all of this. So that was, that was really, really cool. You know, looking at, first of all, like, I feel like talking to you, we have, you know, scratch, just scratched the surface and reading your book and talking with you. And, and now, you know, Alex has become such a secret weapon for us whenever we're, whenever we're hiring, whenever we're looking to bring new people on the team, he really is our secret weapon. And I just owe you so much for that knowing you and like what's inside your head and the wisdom that you have. I feel like we're just scratching the surface and could talk about so much more, but I want to be mindful of time, especially your time and our listeners time. And, you know, before we continue, if, if for those who are still here and this is all resonating with you and you're as intrigued as I was when I started going into Alex's world, I want to invite you to connect with him and work with him in any capacity that you can, because it's going to blow your mind what he has to share with you. But 
Alex, for sake of time, is, is there anything else that you feel like sharing or wrapping up with that will have you feeling complete with this episode? Yeah. So like right now, people are trying to figure things out with what's going on in the world. And some people think it's not a good time to figure things out or to change or to make things better. They're just more thinking, I need to get in the bunker, take care of things. But what I would say is, is that take that chance, be brave, figure things out. And if you want, I can help facilitate some of that growth, help you to figure out who you really are so that you can get in the right career or help your team to be able to communicate better or help your company during this time. So it's like no better time than now to be able to figure out who you are and how you can become your best self. Mm. So good. And when did we start? I, I first texted you in October of 2019, but you came to the office, I think it was in January. I think so. Yeah. So maybe we had our first call in December or something like that. And so it's only been a few short months, but we've seen so much value from everything that you've provided. So thank you so much, man. And I'm, I'm going to have to convince you to come on the podcast again and share even more because like, you know, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much in this world. So thank you. Where can people go now to connect with you beyond the podcast? I have a website, innershift.com. And currently it will take you to another site, which is alexpolis.com. And I have a new website coming up, but I'm going to be having some webinars and some online training and things going on while the pandemic is taking place. And then if you want to get on a call or do a video conference with me, that's what I'm doing right now. I'd love to talk to you. Know that the times shouldn't uh, stop you from self-actualizing or self-transcending. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. We will link up Alex's website in the show notes so you guys can get there easily. And Alex, I just got to thank you again, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on and making this happen. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. And thank you guys. Thank you for for tuning in, for hanging out to the end with us and listening and uh, receiving all of this fascinating, especially for those that are already in this world and understand personality types. Like it's so eye-opening and really brain busting and brain opening. And I know it has been for me. So thank you guys for coming on this journey with us and staying to the end. We've got more amazing episodes with extraordinary guests coming your way here on the Mind Your Business Podcast. See you soon. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I want to show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life and your business. And the best part is this program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash activate and we can get started right now.